we, we have many times where we have challenges in our lives, and sometimes these challenges that we face, we just don't seem to understand. The Bible has an examples of many people who go through what's known as diverse temptations. And these th- three men that we're going to be discussing tonight are three such characters that, w- that either were helping people with their diverse temptations or were people that were going through diverse temptations themselves. In the scripture that we just read in the book of James, James in his, in his epistle was writing to a church that was perhaps going through some diverse temptations. The second set of uh, scripture that we'll be reading is from the book of Job. And Job could be arguably the best person who epitomized what it was to go through diverse temptations. But the great thing about it is that he didn't lose faith. David, in the aftermath of the wicked sin that he committed with Bathsheba, he committed adultery, he committed murder and conspiracy, but at the end he finds himself repentant and sought God to change him. Tonight I'd just like to give you just three simple truths to help us get through the different challenges of our lives and recognizing the importance of these challenges and then rediscovering just who God is, and also trying to rely on him for our renewal and our restoration. So if if you could turn back to your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James chapter 1, 1 through 4. See, James, in the beginning of this epistle, he's writing to to basically the church. And if if you've been for the Wednesday night Bible studies, you'll know that the book of James is, in fact, one of the earliest epistles that are written. So he's writing this to brand new Christians and brand new Christians in the world, which they don't seem to understand. They're probably going through a lot of persecution, a lot of hardships and a lot of things where they just don't seem to know what's going through. And he's, he's identified this as diverse temptations. But James, in his epistle, gives a little bit of a different spin to it. He gives in about almost three kinds of uh, perspectives. First, it's a positive perspective because it says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. I don't mean to make light of anybody's situations or whatever hardships that you might be going through, but if we consider for a second the hardships and the struggles that we go through and how it has defined us and also how God has worked in it, There is a positive spin that we can think about in all the different diverse temptations that we go through. But if we can take a look in the Bible, we can consider the Beatitudes. Jesus goes through the Beatitudes in in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. Every single one of those is someone going through a particular diverse temptation. There's people who are poor in spirit. There are those that mourn. There are those that are meek. There are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Even with something like that, you may think, oh, hungering and thirst for righteousness. There's no diverse temptations in that. But there is the diverse temptation of not wanting to hunger or thirst for righteousness. And just as with blessed are the merciful. Oh, there's no diverse temptation in that. But there's also diverse temptation of being unmerciful. Pure at heart, being impure in heart. Peacemaker, a war maker. There are also those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
And then also, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say false manner of evil against you falsely. Every single one of those beatitudes is, in fact, a diverse temptation. But as we know, every single one of those beatitudes also follows a great blessing the kingdom of heaven, the fact that they'll be comforted, the fact that you will inherit the earth, the fact that you'll be filled, the fact that you'll obtain mercy, the fact that you'll see God, the fact that you can be called children of God, and the fact that the kingdom of heaven is yours, and also rejoicing and being exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So when we go through diverse temptations, when we go through these major challenges in our lives, We know that there is something better, something greater in store. We can't see it, obviously, and we'll get into the concept of faith in a bit, but I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, we were discussing about Abraham. Abraham didn't see the ram in the thicket, but he at least knew that God was going to do something. Many people always state that Abraham knew that he could raise Isaac up, but he didn't see that, but instead... He trusted in the God that though he could not see, he knew that he was there. And he knew that he would do something. So we're going through first the perspective of positive perspective and go and look, if you will, in the product of persistence going into faith because it says faith worketh patience. This is the crux and the reason why diverse temptations should be met with joy. Because no matter what you are going through, the one thing that can come out of this is patience. And your faith is strengthened. But we, always, we, we pray that prayer that, to God saying, Lord, increase my faith. But we want it the easy way. We want it the way that's comfortable. We want it the way that doesn't require any work. We want it in the way that is soft. But sometimes God puts us through temptations and through different challenges just to strengthen our faith. Again, Hebrews defines faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And in diverse temptations, we have to exercise faith because of the various unseen things at work. First, we can't see immediately what God's solution is or the reasoning why he decides to do it. But not seeing why God is doing something is also what requires us to have faith. In Job 23.10, it says, But he knoweth the way that I take, for when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, we don't understand why God is doing something, but it's so much better to trust in someone who knows everything who knows both past, present, and future, rather than trusting in our own knowledge, in our own strength, in our own wisdom. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 reminds us that, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. When will we stop trying to think that we can outthink God? When will we stop thinking that we can outdo God? When we have a God that is higher than everything and higher than anything that we can either conjure up. Any problem that we have here on earth, he is higher than. Any struggle that you are going through, he is higher than. 
And there's something that John has told us that he has overcome the world. So no matter what the world may throw at you, no matter what kind of uh, political things, problems that might have, whatever kind of social problems that there might be, whatever kind of problems you might be dealing with your finances, with your, with your family, with all these different things, God is above all of that. We can think of biblical examples. We have Rebecca in, in Genesis 25, 22. She's in the state where she just does not know what's going on. She says, and her children struggled together with her and said to her, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. This is an example of us definitely questioning people, wondering, God, what are you doing? And then Moses said unto the Lord also in Exodus 4:10, I am not eloquent, neither hitherto, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue Gideon in Judges 6:15 he's questioning God he says he said it oh lord where will wherewith shall i save israel behold my family is poor in manasseh and i am the least in my father's house in zechariah in the new testament and the angel said unto zechariah this is in luke chapter 1 verse 18 goes whereby shall i know this for i am an old man and my wife is well stricken in years and also Mary, she says, then she said, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? How many times will we stop, will we question God? How many times will we always ask him, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? When will we just let go and just trust him? Because he knows what he's doing. Because he knoweth the way that I take. When will we realize that perhaps the only way that God can teach us a lesson is to put us through the toughest trials of our life? And in fact, if we also take a look at some of our friends and our loved ones who've gone through many trials and temptations, how many lessons of faith have we learned from them? And so when we are also going through those diverse temptations, We also have to seek the different kinds of lessons that God has in store for us. As we said, that uh, also that the result of uh, of faith is patience. But I'd like to now discuss the perfection of patience. See, we, we like to be patient. But we fail to do one crucial thing that James is talking about when we deal with our diverse temptations. Is that we do not let patience have her perfect work. Perfect means complete work. We'll have patience just for a little while, then we'll lose it. And then patience doesn't have a complete work because you haven't let patience do the work. Yet we see, we, we are one of the things that I absolutely dislike about our society now is that we are a society of instant gratification. We want things now. We want our packages now. We want our promotion now. We want the better relationship now. In fact, if you're, if you're most people now, they wanted it yesterday. They wanted it before today. But if you get something so instant, where, there, where is then the opportunity to learn patience? See, we, went, we want God to work on our time. We want to put God in a box where we can control him. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't. You cannot turn almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, into your personal genie saying, Lord, I want something and I want it now. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. This is God of all creation. And to do such a thing, to even consider the thought, it's 
downright disrespectful to God. It is spitting in God's face to think that you, almighty God, I can put in this little box. No, this does not work that way. Now, can God do things quickly? Absolutely. If we can take a look at how Jesus healed many people, they were healed instantly. We can take a look at, uh, but there are also many instances where Jesus healed, but it took a little bit of patience. We take a look at the raising of Lazarus. Could Jesus have, while his disciples were there, he already knew that Lazarus was going to die. Couldn't he also have just raised Lazarus there? He's done it before. He's done it instantaneously, but he wanted to teach people patience. There was the woman with the issue of blood. Did Jesus know that there was that woman who had the issue of blood? No. Well, yes, he did. He did know. But he wanted to also maybe teach that woman patience, that that struggling, that diligence, that way to push through the different crowd just to get to him, that patience. But she wouldn't have learned that if Jesus just healed her instantly. Another great example also was the blind man who was healed with clay. How many times did Jesus say, boom, you got your sight? But instead, this man, he had to take spittle, he had to take mud, mold it up together, put it in his eyes, and then wash. How come he, didn't have to be, how come he couldn't be healed instantly? It's because he needed to be taught patience. And also his own disciples... His own disciples, when Jesus died, those two or three days where they're just gloom and doom and they've forgotten everything, that too is a lesson of patience. Throughout the Bible, patience was exemplified by many characters. Abraham had to wait till he was old before he saw his son. Moses was almost 80 years old before the incident in the burning bush. And Simeon in the New Testament waited his entire life to see Jesus, and he couldn't die before he saw him. That's the great thing about patience, that that you see God work. You see the lessons that God can teach us. You can see the different kinds of things that, that we learn, and our faith gets increased because of it. But again, we always want it done in our time. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. And he has set the world in their heart that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God already knows what's going to happen. God already knows what he needs to do to you to make you who he needs you to be and what situations you need to go through in order for you to get to where God needs you. The second thing in terms of our diverse temptations is realization. Turn, if you will, to the book of Job. Job chapter 42, verse 1 through 6. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Let's read it real quickly. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, how have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not? Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, and I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. 
Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. As I said before, Job could have arguably had the most diverse of temptations in the shortest amount of time ever. In one day, he lost 10 children, 11,500 animals in the span of one day. But the one thing that Job did not lose was his faith. He's then afflicted heavily with boils. And though he despaired, he still held strong in the faith. And he's basically rebuked by his three friends but he didn't lose his faith with God. His counter to every single kind of attack that his friend said that, I'm still going to trust God. And his faith was undeniably wavering, but even when God comes and speaks to him directly, Job's heart's so right that he is also humbled. And this is a man that perhaps God knew better than anybody. When Satan comes and sees God, he says, hast thou considered my servant Job? Meaning this is the best of the best, and even the best of the best saw it fit to humble himself. And because of this humble heart, the great thing about it is God shows Job himself in a very unique way. What are the three things that Job learns in his diverse temptation? One is God's identity. The best theological lessons, and we're, we're talking about the doctrine of theology, and the best theological lessons are the ones that God teaches himself. Oftentimes, these le- lessons are amidst great trial. Like, for example, the Hebrews personally learned who God is when they stood between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And God teaches his leaders personally about him through their conversations, like he did with Moses and with Joshua and so many others. And then Jesus reveals himself amidst various great turmoils or challenges like the tempest of the sea of Galilee or the challenge of feeding 5,000 people. Now, what's interesting in the book of Job, God only speaks really in like the beginning and in the end. So a vast majority of this book, God is silent. God does not speak, but God constantly speaks. I mean, Job constantly speaks of God and his faith in him. And Job endured so much at the end that God reveals himself. And he reminds Job of his omnipotence. He reminds Job of his power. You know, sometimes God does not reveal himself until a specific appointed time. And until God came to settle things, only two things got him through it. It's his faith and his patience. The second thing that God also did was God humbled him. Remember when we discussed our, uh, what our reactions are to diverse temptations? It's like, oh God, you're not fair. Oh God, you're not, you're, you just don't love me anymore. But instead, Job just continued to humble himself. How, why, is it, why do we question God's timing? Why do we question God's purpose or reasoning? But what's amazing about our trials is we do come face to face with him and realize how silly it was to question him. It's like if someone plans for us a surprise party, right? Okay, but this person, they go to great lengths to not reveal anything. They go to great lengths to probably like hold you at bay. They probably are really mean to you. Like then there's like, oh yeah, I can't talk to you right now because I have to go this place or that place. They're withholding something. But then, and you're thinking, it's like, man, that person's really mean to me. And they've been really, really 
snotty and evil to me. But then when they, once that surprise party happens, it's like, man, I shouldn't have thought that about that person. That's the same thing with God. God has something much greater planned, but we don't have that patience to wait for him. And, and we don't have that patience just to be humble and say, you know what, God, I, got, you've got, I know that you've got it. I know that you've got it. The third thing that God does is God's restoration. So in, after this entire ordeal of losing his family, his fortune, the rebuke of his friends and the personal theology lesson of God and his own repentance, God not only restores all that Job lost, but he doubles his livestock. He gives him a new set of sons and daughters. He was also great in many years. What this should teach us that after this entire trial, God always brings us to a different place than we were before. Now, we always want to hope that this place that, uh, that we're, this new place that we have is just like what Job is. More successful, more financial security, all of these great little treasures, these earthly things. That's how we'll measure success. That's how we know that God's gotten us to where we need to be. But what if that lesson is for you to increase your faith? You might suffer for it, but you're a lot better than you were before. You know, whenever we go through tough times, there's always some growth. There's always some growth. Like, for example, if you go and you work out, okay, I've been trying to work out as much as I can because my gut's really getting big. And so I try to do as many sit-ups, and I can't do as many as I did before. But then the next week, for some reason, instead of just doing 10 sit-ups, I can do now 15. So you're, you get, there's a little bit of growth every single time. There's a little bit of growth every single time. I remember Brother Sean used to always say, it's like doing something is better than doing nothing at all. So if you work out for 10 minutes, it's better than just sitting for 10 minutes and doing absolutely nothing because you won't grow if you don't put in the time for it. See, even the, even the little bit of growing in our faith and in our, in our Christian walk, that's worth everything. That's everything because that means that even if I'm now convinced to read my Bible one extra minute, that's a lot better than me before because before, I couldn't even read it for one minute. See, perseverance, perseverance, waiting for what God can show is one of the greatest Christian traits that we can, we can ever learn. And the only way that we can learn that is through being patient with God. Final, well, not final. The last, last guy we're going to talk about is David. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Ain't good to be in the Bible tonight, isn't it? You know, I was uh, re- reminded of a story of when they gave out Bibles in, the, in Africa. Some people didn't even want to, they, they just wanted to see it. One of the uh, guys in our missions classes talked about that. You know, in our houses, we have like five or six different Bibles. And in some countries, they would crave for just one page. Oh, man. How, how we sometimes take the Bible for granted. Psalm 51, Psalm 51. And in verse 10 to 13, I think you're all familiar with this. David has sinned against uh, God and uh, by committing adultery, murder, and conspiracy to murder. And after all of this, he 
He says this, verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Oh, man, what a great thing to say. See, what's great about David, what makes him different, it's the same situation that he's, he's also been put through, the fact that he's also going through a, a particular diverse temptation. And as we continue the story of David and Bathsheba, he actually goes through much more uh, trials and tribulations before them. But what's interesting about how David responds to God is that not only does he repent, humble himself, but he requests God to transform him. So what did he ask to be transformed? First, there's an internal restoration that he's requesting. First is his heart. Now, the Bible states that the heart is desperately wicked, so who can trust it? And we have the sad tendency of making our decisions based on our emotions rather than principle, okay? Perhaps, perhaps, Our hearts are desperately wicked or stay desperately wicked because we're not like David and ask for it to be cleansed. We just let it stay mucked up like that. We say, we let it coagulate. We let the bitterness of the wickedness of our heart just continue to constrict. And what's the sad thing is we continue to make decisions with that wicked heart. Instead of asking God, God, please, just as David did, create in me a clean heart. Let's say if we have a very severe case of heart disease. We have a severe case of heart disease because we've eaten too much fried chicken or we've really gone to uh, to see Matthew a lot at Chick-fil-A and eaten Chick-fil-A things for like seven weeks. And because of that, our heart's really, really, really heavy because... We've got triglycerides in our blood. But then the the doctor and the surgeons, they said, here's the prescription. Here is the way to get yourself cured. All you have to do is ask me for it, and I'll cure you. Would it be so stupid for us not to ask for it? Well, that's the same thing we do to God. He has the answer, and he wants to change your heart. But we don't ask him. We don't ask him. See, the great thing about David, with how he dealt with this heart issue, is that 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 heart issue, that I don't feel like doing something, is the actual cause of why he did all of these things. If you look in the book of Samuel, we know that this was a time in which men, in which kings go forth off to war. So, The reason why he sinned with Bathsheba wasn't because that she was good-looking or that he just happened to look out there. No, he skipped out of work. He skipped out of work. Why did he skip out of work? Because he had a heart issue. He had a heart issue. It wasn't because that, oh, you know, I can do what I want because I'm the king. No, I just didn't feel like going to work today. Something so small like that stems one of the great sins that David is known for. And not only did it, do that, it stemmed a lot of different tragic events because of that. And, then, and also what's sad is that this is coming from a man who God says is a man after his own heart. But because he is a man after God's own heart, David actually humbles himself. 
I think David was also so wise that perhaps that he knew that his heart is desperately wicked. So if he were to make another decision based on his heart, he felt that, you know what, God, if I'm going to do something like that again, based something on my emotions, based on all of the different uh, bad things, I want you just to clean it so that if I do make a decision with my heart again, it'll be a clean heart. It'll be a clean heart. The second thing that he's asking for for him to clean internally is his spirit. He says, renew the right spirit within me. For the most part, if you have a, a driver's license, it's your driver's license until you're done, until basically you die. All you have to do is just make sure you renew it every single time. If you take out a car and you lease a car, that car continues to be your car if you renew the lease. If you have an apartment, if you renew your lease, you continue to stay at that place. When are we going to renew the right spirit within us? I think Brother Clint Fredericks was the one who came here to fill up your tank. There's a lot of uh, sermons about that. Brother, Brother Hiles preached one on fresh oil. We sing that song in the bus ministry, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Because if you keep burning, 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 that oil starts to dissipate. But we don't ask it to be filled up again. Interestingly, when he talks about renew, when David talks about renew, the Hebrew word for it is kadash. And kadash translates to rebuild. Because one of the things that continue, that the, the consequences of our sin, the ways of the world, the bitterness that we might have in our hearts, the, the evil that just goes on in the world, that causes that spirit just to be broken down. But we can always ask God to renew that right spirit within us. You know, one of the things that I love about this book is that it always provides that extra brick in that foundation of my spirit. The fact that whenever something may get you down, teenagers, if there's something that does get you down, God can help rebuild it. You've, hurt, you've been hurt. There's a couple of things in your past that might continue to hurt you, or there's things that you see that might be breaking down your spirit. You can ask God to renew that right spirit within you. A lot of us older folks, we've, we've suffered a lot of things throughout our lives. There's a few things that we may not uh, be willing to let go, and it's caused a little bit of holes in, our, in that structure of our spirit. But God can rebuild that. God can renew that right spirit within us. And what's great about all of these things, this, this renewal, this renewal is that it also allows us to help others get renewed as well. As David explains in Psalm 51, again, and I lost my page. In Psalm 51, again, after after he reeks this request, he says, then, this is verse 13, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. One of the great things and the great reasons why we need to have a renewed spirit within us is to help others renew their spirit as well. 
And if you look at all three of these men that uh, we've discussed tonight in the book of James, James was uh, many considered as James as one of Jesus' brothers. And Jesus' brothers were people that really didn't believe in him. They weren't really sure if he was who he was. So he needed to restore himself in order to be able to restore others. Job in itself, like if you'll read the end of the book of Job, it's Job's prayer that restores his three friends because God was like, I don't like what you're saying, but I like what Job is saying. But now that Job's restored, he can help you get restored. And David is the same way. He's committed this wicked sin, but he knows that once his spirit is renewed, he's now equipped to go help somebody else. Let me bring this to a close. And we're almost done, I think. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what the Lord leads. See, the battles that we face are all internal. A lot of times we think that our spiritual battles are always matters of the heart, but it's always of the mind. If we can take a look at all of these three men, they mention knowledge. We have, or it's something to do with the mind. With James, it's trying to get a better perspective, a mind shift, if you will, of what our diverse situations are. With Job, he gains the knowledge of, God, of who God is through the temptations that he's gone through. And with David, if you take a look in the previous verses in verse 51, he just wants to know God more. And he acknowledges his sin. Acknowledge, there's that know again. He knows in his mind that he's sinned. And each of these stories, they're a crucial step of getting into the right direction. As we see uh, that James, we need to renew our perspective. And in uh, Job, we need to renew our knowledge of God. And we also need to, also like David did, we need to rely on God to renew ourselves. And I could preach another sermon about how to be renewed. But I'll just give it to you in one simple thing. It's humility. The reason why we won't want to get restored, the reason why we don't want to know who God is, and the reason why we don't want God to be the person that, wants to, that should renew us is because we're not humble. And we're not humble. Why is, why is that, why is that a, an issue? Because one, we want to do what we want. Two, God resists the proud. And three, humility is not the kind of heart that God wants to see. Because it's a heart that's not submissive. It's a heart that's not wanting him. A person that wants something for themselves is somebody that does not want God. And that's the heart that we sometimes have. See, James again discussed how the church needed to change his perspective, their perspective. But in order for you to change your perspective, you need to be humble because you need to accept the fact that I have to be happy in my diverse temptations. No, no, no. I'm just going to be upset. But no, that's not humility. Job was humbled by the loss that he suffered by the knowledge and, and he learned who God was by what he suffered through. That's, you have to be, like, if we were in the same situation as Job, would we have the same kind of faith and defense of who God was when someone confronts us, when God puts us through those diverse temptations? No, we'd probably be like, leave me alone. 
I don't need to be bothered by this. Or would, be, would we be someone who says, he knoweth the way that I take. And, in, and when he hath tried me, I will come forth as gold. Or would we say something like, though he may slay me, yet will I trust him. Is that the kind of heart that we have? Because that kind of heart is a heart that is humble. Now, David also expressed his humility by asking God to change him. Our problem is we want to change ourselves our own way in the way that we feel is best for us. Rather than saying, God, I have no clue what to do. But you do. But you do. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. We want to lift our own selves up. That's our problem. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We want to use our mighty hand, and we want to exalt ourselves. That is our other problem. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder, Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. All three of these things tonight, yes, are a battle of the mind. But the reason why it becomes a battle is because we don't have that humility. Now, I don't know what troubles you might be having tonight or that you're about to face as you go into a new work week. But maybe, maybe tonight might be the night where you stop fighting with God amidst your diverse temptations and just submit to him. Again, pride, pride continues to be our biggest enemy that we're being held against our will, but it's, again, it's written, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Again, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what hardships that you're facing, but know that God can renew the right spirit within you and that he wants you to know him in this, the diverse temptations that you're facing and also wants to renew your perspective. Again, The core to our restoration is to simply and wholly submit to God for his leading. Let's bow our heads for prayer.